Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. I'm glad that you made it out on this freezing Sunday morning in January. Uh, you weren't quite as faithful as the first service. They, they got here right away, but you still, you still got here, okay? You still made it here. I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. I don't know why it is today that we dropped from yesterday or the day before 46 degrees to 6 degrees, um, but you are Midwesterners, you know, you know how to stick it out, you, you make it happen, and so we're glad that you're here, and because you knew I'm not going to miss a brand new series, no matter what, I don't care how much snow or ice, I'm not missing a new series at church today, and uh, if you aren't aware, last week we had just a, a one-off sermon, the plan was to start the series last week, but God had other plans, and we looked at the new wine of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that was a powerful and challenging way to start the new year for you. I've been praying for you this past week that God would fill you up with his spirit for a new year with a new mindset. I hope that you've been taking time to, to pray, maybe to fast and seek God and to speak new words over yourselves. Speak scripture over yourself. We said things like, say, I am a new creation. I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. I've got the mind of Christ in me. I release those old and unproductive thoughts and feelings, and I let them go in Jesus Christ. I embrace new ideas. I hope you've been able to renew your wineskin to receive and retain what God has for you. But today we're starting a new three-week series from the book of Habakkuk. That's right, Habakkuk, the Minor Prophets. Maybe you're familiar with this book. Maybe you got lost in the shuffle of the Minor Prophets. That's okay. It's an incredibly relevant book, as we're going to see today, when we go through difficulties and hardships. And we're also going through Habakkuk to start the year because we're kind of going through a vision series here at The Gathering. We want to continue to remind ourselves, what is the mission of this church? Why does the gathering exist? And this three-week series is called, Write the Vision. Write the Vision. And today's an an introduction. We're going to look at chapter one. But when we get to chapter two next week, it's called, Write the Vision, because Habakkuk 2 says, he says, God said to Habakkuk, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. We want to make the vision very clear so that you can run with it, so that God can equip you for what's going on. There's not going to be a debate. There's not going to be confusion. Why the gathering exists, this is our vision. Go run with it. That's what we're talking about. We'll talk more about that vision next week. Today's an introduction. It's chapter one. Let's start with learning who Habakkuk is, where the time, uh, time is in which he's writing. Habakkuk is a prophet. He lived around the same time as the other prophets, such as Zephaniah and Jeremiah, potentially even Ezekiel or Daniel, at the end of the Old Testament. And right here at this time, they're nearing the end of Israel's southern kingdom. It's a time of injustice and idolatry in the kingdom of Israel. There's this threat of Babylon looming over Israel. And the interesting thing about this book, as a, as a book of a prophet, it's a dialogue between God and Habakkuk. 
a lot of prophetic books will be God speaking through the prophet to the people. This is a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And this first chapter, it pertains to the complaints and the questions that Habakkuk brings before God. And I feel pretty confident that a couple of us could relate to bring some complaints and some questions to God. And so I've titled this message today, The Airing of Grievances. Airing of Grievances. Is anyone here familiar with Festivus? Anyone familiar with Seinfeld? Let me give you a quick uh, recap here. Festivus is this tradition by George Costanza's father that would happen two days before Christmas. Uh, Frank Costanza was not a big fan of Christmas because he thought it was commercialized and all these things. So Festivus was this holiday where he would gather his friends and family together. They'd have a big feast two days before Christmas. And then at the end of the feast, he would stand up and he would tell each person in the room how they'd offended him that year, his complaints and his problems with them for that year. It was the airing of grievances. And while I don't, you know, I don't recommend you air your grievances in that way that Frank Costanza would, there might be times when you need to confront someone that's hurt you. That's biblical, okay? Uh, but I would recommend first that we bring our grievances, our anger, and our frustrations before God. And that's what Habakkuk does. And we're going to be reading from Habakkuk chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, don't worry. We've got it on the screen. If you're someone that loves a good sermon outline, you can find it on our Church Center homepage or you can find us on the Version Bible app if you want to follow an outline along. Let's read the first four verses of Habakkuk 1 together. It says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. A couple things I want to look at there in that first beginning of the passage. But starting with number one, that first verse, it says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. I'll explain what that is. What is an oracle? An actual definition in the Bible, a translation, is that an oracle is a burden. It's simply this burden that Habakkuk is feeling for himself and for this nation. He was under a burden and he cries out to God and he cries with complete honesty and his doubt. Habakkuk is doubting God. His power, his sovereignty, he asked him, how long shall I cry and you won't hear me? You know what that tells me? This is not, God, this is not Habakkuk's first time crying out to God. He has been in the process, in the middle, over and over again. How long, God, am I going to cry to you and you will not answer? He says, we say there is violence, but you don't save. Habakkuk is completely honest before God, airing his grievances. I want to look at three things. When we air our grievances to God, let's keep these three things in mind. Number one is that we are called to cry and plead to God. That's our responsibility. We are in the middle of our pain, 
in the middle of our doubt, we are called to cry out to God, to plead with him to move in our life. If you look through this book, this dialogue between Habakkuk and God, not once does God convict or condemn Habakkuk for saying these things to God. The things like, how, how, how long will you not listen? How long will you ignore me as we need saving? God is not intimidated by your anger and your pain. He's a big God. He can handle it. He can handle. In fact, I want to say this. God is a friend to the doubters. It doesn't feel good when someone doubts you, right? Usually that becomes an enemy. Like, fine, if you don't believe me, whatever. I'm just going to shrug you off. Just, you're not in my life. No, no, no. God is a friend to the doubters. He doesn't push you away just because we push him away. He's a friend to the doubters. He's a friend to the honest. And in your pain, it is better to talk to God than to talk about God. There's nothing wrong with talking about God, but if you want change, you need to talk to God, not about God. It can be easy to say to your friends, I can't believe God won't do this. I can't believe God isn't listening to me. That's fine, but if you want change, go and talk to God, not about God. That's where change happens. Think of all throughout the Bible, think of Hannah in her pain in the temple daily calling out to God for a child. Think about Abraham asking God to spare that wicked city over and over again. Remember, he said, for the, for the sake of 50 righteous, 40 righteous, 30, 20, 10, for the sake of 10 righteous people, don't destroy that city. Think about David in the caves day after day, hiding out from King Saul, who's trying to kill him, crying out to God over and over again. We are called to cry and plead to God because he's the only one. He's the only one that causes change. Don't talk about God. Talk to God. I believe there are people in here that you're hurting, you're grieving, and I'm asking you, bring that grief. Bring that pain before God. Cry out to God. Look at one of the things that Habakkuk said in the beginning of verse 3. In the middle of his complaint, he said, Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Maybe ask a question, why does God make us see sin? Why does God make us see destruction and violence? I wonder if we never saw sin and violence, would we be compelled to pray to him? I, I, think, I think there's a reason why God makes us see sin. Actually, I think there's a lot of reasons, a couple of reasons why God makes us see sin. I think seeing sin, I have to say that very quickly, seeing sin can help us be convicted of our sin. I think seeing sin, it compels us to have empathy for other people. I think seeing sin can remind us of our need. We need a powerful Savior to rescue us. Seeing sin, seeing violence and destruction should lead us to cry out for God. Be honest. If we never saw violence and war in our world, would we remember to pray for our world? If we never saw issues and problems in our country, in our government, would we remember to pray for our government? We've got a lot of problems in our government, but anyways, a lot of things we could pray for. If we never saw problems in our family, would we remember to pray for our family? I believe God allows us to see sin to keep us humble, 
to value our salvation and to show us that we ourselves, we are vulnerable to that same sin if we, if we d- disconnect from God. Apart from God, we are just as vulnerable as that person who's struggling. There's truthfully so many reasons, in my opinion, to watch movies and books and stories and love those things. But what I love about movies, books, stories of those things is it allows you to empathize with someone else. It puts you in someone else's shoes to see what they're going through. You know, I've seen stories of families that are ripped apart from drugs Something that I, I haven't understood myself, but I'm, when I'm put in that position, I see, wow, I can't imagine, oh my goodness, the pain. God, I pray for the people I know in my life that are struggling with drugs and alcohol. I pray for freedom for them. I pray for peace over them. I can experience through stories loss and abuse and sin, and we see that sin, and I hope that it compels us to cry out for God for ourselves and for the people in our world. And let me take a minute to say, Please don't mistake God using something in your world to mean that God is causing something in your world, okay? I want to make sure we know God is not the author of pain and suffering. God loves us so much that he would send his son into the world so that through him we can be saved. We have freedom through him. But with that freedom, we have the ability to make our own decisions And people can choose to take free will and do what's wrong. And people can fight against each other and wars break out. But God will use these situations, not cause. He will use these situations if we're listening to point back to him in our desperation for him. And Habakkuk asks the question. He brings his complaints, his grievances, saying, how long will you not hear me? Why do you stand back? Not only does he ask these questions, he actually makes some statements in there. Look at verse 4 again. He says, The law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look at how strong that language is. He says the law is paralyzed. He says justice never goes forth. Can you imagine saying that to God? God, your justice never goes forth. I don't know what it was like growing up in in your households with your parents, but I'll just share for a a minute what it was like growing up with my parents. Um, Using absolutes in in our household did not go well. It was not the right decision. I can still hear it in my head. Dad was here first service. I can hear him saying, never, never. You never get to go out with your friends. Your brothers always get what they want. That language didn't go well. I would say that language never went well, but that would defeat the purpose of what I'm trying to say. But when we're hurt and we're angry, that's how we talk. And thankfully, when we are upset, God doesn't shut us out. He hears our cries. He hears our pleas. And after Habakkuk says these things, he says justice is perverted. God responds to Habakkuk. Read with me verse 5. This is what God says. He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
I get excited when I see how God responds to Habakkuk. In Habakkuk's hurt and his confusion, God says, you just need to look and see, and you'll wonder and you'll be astounded because I'm doing something that you would not believe. And when we air our grievances to God, we are to cry and to plead to God. But number two, we also need to look and wonder at God. Cry and plead to him and look and wonder. What I find interesting about God's response is that Habakkuk is so focused on Israel. So focused on their nation. He's focused on what's right in front of him. God says, if you want to see me at work, you're going to actually have to broaden your perspective. You're going to have to not look here in Israel. You're going to have to go and look among the nations to see me at work. You want to be in awe and wonder, you're going to need to look outside of yourself. Because God says, I am at work. I haven't quit. I haven't disappeared. He says, I'm actually doing a great work that goes beyond belief, but you've got to look somewhere else to find it. If I can, I'd like to look back to next, last week and our message that we talked about. And I know you already have the message memorized. You've got your notes and all those things. But for those that weren't here that weren't able to hear it. We talked about God is doing something new, and in order to see God doing something new, we may have to look, at, look to him in a new way and a new method. He might not work the same way he did in 2023. He might work in a different way in 2024. You gotta look at a new perspective. That's why the Bible says, I lift my eyes to the hills. That's where my help comes from. It doesn't come from right here in front of me. It comes from God. And God says this to Habakkuk, and if I were Habakkuk, I'd start to get excited, right? I'd get encouraged. Then look at what God says next. Look at these next three verses. He says, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar, and they fly like an eagle swift to, de to devour. God was doing something beyond Judah. What he was doing was he was raising up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, to come and bring justice on Israel because of their injustice. God actually used something worse and more evil to come and take out Israel. And you might be thinking, why, why would God want Israel? This is his chosen people. Why would God want Israel to be taken captive by the Babylonians? Because the Babylonians, they, they were worse than Israel. They idolized their military strength. They abused humans. They took over nations through violence. Habakkuk was probably saying, look and wonder. Yeah, I'm wondering, what are you doing here, God? How could this be the way in which you're going to move? But here's the thing. Israel had to be destroyed in order for Israel to exist. You're thinking about that. Israel had to be destroyed in order for them to exist. They would not continue to exist if they were allowed to continue to rule themselves. They were headed for destruction. 
but being destroyed by an outside force would eventually lead them back to devotion to God. Sometimes we have to look and wonder at what God is doing and see things beyond our perspective. I'll give you a short story to illustrate. A few years ago, probably about eight or so years ago, I would say Shanna and I had our first test in marriage. And I was on staff at a church and she was a graphic designer at a graphic design firm. One afternoon she calls me out of the blue. She says, hey, I just got let go from my job. You know, it's shocking. We didn't expect that. I said, okay, it's okay. All right, let's just, let's, let's go home. We'll meet there. We'll talk about this. It was surprising. It was a little emotional. But we know things happen. We weren't going to lose our heads. So we sat there. And we decided to take that time that night to, to pray, turn on a worship album, shout out Jesus Culture, Unstoppable Love, DVD, rocked it out. <laughs> and we had a good time of worship and prayer. And wouldn't you know it that eventually Shanna would have many other opportunities, other graphic design firms, other opportunities with better pay, better hours, giving her better experience, but she doesn't get any of those things if something else had to stop in her life. I'll share a testimony with you. A first service, at the end of it, a lady came forward. She said, hey, I just want to echo that. I lost my job last year. I didn't know what was going to happen. And after that, my emotional health increased immensely. My connections with my family and friends went all the way up after I lost that job. And I saw that God did it for a reason. Someone give God praise for that. What a testimony. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen if we're not looking beyond our perspective to see what God is doing. And the only way that Israel could move away from their injustice and their sin is they had to be taken captives from Babylon so that they would eventually return to God. God had told Habakkuk to look and to see and wonder how God is so powerful. Friends, God is so powerful, he could take the worst nation with zero integrity, zero righteousness, and it would cut cause Israel to regain their integrity and their righteousness. But you can't see God at work behind the scenes if you don't look and wonder, what is your perspective on? And after that time, God continues to explain the strength and the power of the Babylonian army. I won't go into all those details. But then after God finishes, Habakkuk has an opportunity to respond to God's answer. Let's read these two verses together. This is what Habakkuk says after that. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? When the wicked swallows up the man, more righteous than he. So Habakkuk begins the chapter with some complaints to God. God responds to Habakkuk by telling telling him to look and to see that God is working. And Habakkuk responds with, okay, I've got some follow-up questions, uh, some follow-up complaints. You haven't completely answered everything to my liking. He says, how, God, could you use Babylon to punish Israel? 
He says at the end, how can you use a worse nation? How can you allow the wicked to swallow up the one who is more righteous? I want to remind you that God can use anyone or anything. And nothing is beyond God's authority and control and no power, no nation, nothing in this world can compare to God's power. All will bow before God in the end. The most wicked and terrifying nation and people in the world, they pale in comparison to our God's power. And as difficult as it was for Habakkuk to hear this truth and to understand why God would operate in this way, he ends his second complaint with a sign of trust. He continues on actually with his full complaint to the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. We actually have to go to the beginning of chapter 2 to see how he ends. Look at Habakkuk 2 verse 1. This is how he ends his second complaint. He says to God, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Number three this morning, we cry out to God, we look and see for God, but number three, we need to watch and wait for God. We have to watch and wait for him. We can cry out to God, we can tell him how things are, are hurting and, and feel unfair, and we need to look and wonder, but then we have to watch and wait. And Habakkuk uses this analogy of a watchman. A watchman has to be alert on the city walls at all times. They have to be ready. They can't just fall asleep whenever. They can't neglect what they're doing, because if they do, they could miss something and damage destruction, war could come to the city. There are times when we have to watch and wait for God. And we don't like to hear this, but waiting, it takes time. There weren't a lot of amens on the, we have to watch and wait for God. Amen, that's right, we're going to wait for him. Waiting for God. And the worst thing is, we're most times waiting for God for an unknown amount of time, and we do not like that. We do not like that. That's why we check our Amazon packages. All right, where is it at? I just bought it, but it should be here soon. All right, I just ordered that pizza. Where is, is it in the oven? It better be in the oven by now. We check all these things. It's why we go, before we go to a movie, how long is this movie? How long am I going to have to sit here for? How long is this church service right now, right? Some of you are thinking that right now. I know you are. Some of us have friends that are not always trustworthy to be on time. Don't point at anyone, that's not nice. I saw people looking. Here's the thing, if you don't trust someone to show up soon, you may not wait long. How much do you trust God? How long are you willing to wait for God? Do you trust him enough to wait and wait and continue to wait when there's no amount of time given? Are you willing to trust him? Let me ask you this. Are you willing to trust God more than you trust yourself? I believe that Habakkuk, when he was waiting, he waited with the right attitude, the right posture. After Habakkuk says, I will, I will watch and wait for what God will say to me, he ends with this. He says, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. 
kind of interesting. What I will answer? No, no. I'm the one asking God a question. He is the one that's going to answer. I had to look at different translations. If you want a more literal translation of what I will answer concerning my complaint, it would actually say how I may reply when I am reproved. Meaning, how will I reply once God corrects me? (laughs) Habakkuk is upset. And he doesn't understand what God is doing. But he continues to keep his trust in him. Realizing that God is always right. And I want to give you a little, little secret information. If you're in a conversation with God and you're in a debate and one of the two of you is wrong, it's not God. It's me. I'm the one who's wrong. It's me. Habakkuk realizes, I'm going to vent. I'm going to give you my frustrations. I'm going to give you my pain and what you're going to say and then what I'm going to say when you show me how I am wrong, when you correct me. Worship team, come up as we get ready to close. We're supposed to watch and wait for God, but not with not with disgust, not with disbelief. We're watching and waiting with humility, waiting for God to show me how he's right and I'm wrong. Trust is not shown when things are good. Trust in God is shown when we don't believe, when we're struggling and when we're doubting. Remember, we said God is a friend to the doubter. And on this weekend, I think back to a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. In his book from 1963, he said in this book, The Strength to Love, it was a collection of his different sermons. He said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience. It's where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. I'm asking you today, if you're in controversy, You're facing some challenges. Where are you standing? What are you trusting in? You trusting in yourself? Are you willing to surrender and put your trust in God? Would you stand to your feet as we close? Thank you for listening to today's message. The gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.